Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. Just last week, we were talking about a massacre in a Buffalo grocery store. And now I'm taping this conversation a day after another horrific shooting, this time at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. An 18-year-old gunman killed at least two adults and 19 children. Think about that. 19 children at an elementary school murdered. It's the deadliest school shooting since the 2012 Sandy Hook massacre, and yet it seems like nothing has changed. I wanted to understand why and what can be done with my guest today. Nicholas Kristoff is a journalist and former New York Times opinion columnist. He's been reporting on shootings and how we may stop them for far too long. And Frank Smythe is an investigative journalist who's covered the National Rifle Association for more than 20 years, most recently in his book, The NRA, The Unauthorized History, He's a gun enthusiast who believes in gun control. Frank, Nick, welcome to Sway. So let me start with you, Nick. Uh, can you give us a brief summary of what we know right now about the shooting? There's news still coming in. So give us sort of the larger landscape of this particular shooting. Well, it appears that this young man, an 18-year-old man who was uh, apparently poorly adjusted, lonely, had few friends, often skipped school, that shortly after his 18th birthday, he purchased two AR-15-style rifles. And then on Tuesday, it appears, shot his grandmother, drove to this elementary school, uh, stormed his way past a armed guard. And uh, he uh, apparently uh, shot these 19 children dead in apparently all in one classroom. Uh, they were uh, about 10 years old, uh, those kids, and uh, and killed two teachers as well. And so um, one of the things that people have been pointing to is that this is the 10-year anniversary of Sandy Hook. Now, Frank, I want to figure out why we were here 10 years after that. Has the gun lobby lost power in this time or gained momentum? Because it seems, you know, from your work and many others, that it doesn't seem to have lost control. The National Rifle Association is, has lost credibility within its own movement and within the public at large due to accusations of embezzlement that started with Oliver North. But the movement, the ideology for gun rights is stronger now in the United States than it has ever been. And that's a function of a lot of things, one of which is people have long presumed what gives the NRA its strengths is its money. That has become less true over the years. What gives it its strength is its ideology, its ability to infuse this idea that only through unrestricted gun access will civilian citizens be able to keep tyranny at bay. And that may sound crazy, but a great many Americans seem to believe this. And certainly that idea now has saturated the Republican Party. The rise of Trump and Trumpism has increased this feeling and this sentiment for these views and made them more, more ardent than they were before, combined with the fear of the pandemic. So the irony is the NRA, I think, is going to end up looking like it's in on the rearview mirror of America's of America as we move on. But 
the ideology that they leave behind is stronger than ever, and it's not going anywhere. So talk about why they're stronger. Is it fear? Is it What would you attribute that to, Frank? For the pandemic, for a lot of gun owners and people on the right, seemed prophetic. The government is collapsing, is no longer able to protect you. You now have this allegedly overreaching government imposing a mask mandate, which seems silly. But to them, it seemed like the first the first step towards some sort of tyrannical takeover. So that and the notion that you can't rely on the government for anything, you have to rely on yourself. That led to run on on guns and ammunition in 2020 and in 2021. And there has been what the an NRA author dubbed as the great ammo shortage. Now for a year and a half, two years, they expect to go into 2023. They simply cannot, American ammunition factories cannot generate, make enough ammo to keep up with the demand, which are civilians buying it up, stocking up in preparation for some kind of some kind of civil war, race war, some kind of major conflict, which many of groups uh, on that side of the spectrum really believe is coming. And if you look at the Republican Party, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're making comments in Congress. These these conspiracies have been going on forever. This whiskey rebellion, every, everybody feeling that the government's trying to take power from them. Um, Nick, in, in talking about that in gun control, you said historically the liberal approach is ineffective. What did you mean by that? You know, I think Frank is right that the NRA has lost ground uh, while a lot of NRA style extremists have gained ground. But the kind of NRA narrative that the way you protect your house, the way you protect your family is with a, a gun uh, and particularly with a handgun that has gained ground. I mean, you know, there were 18.8 million firearms sold that last year. The last two years uh, saw the uh, greatest increase in firearms uh, sold on record. So vast uh, explosion is the wrong word in numbers of firearms sold in the U.S. And so, you know, I, I, I think of the uh, liberal approach and I say this as a liberal being ineffective. Look, one measure of that is we have 400 million firearms in the U.S., 400 million. One of the signature uh, liberal efforts was the assault weapons ban for 10 years. Uh, and that made assault weapons, uh, an icon on the right. And, you know, I don't look, this is really hard and trying to figure out what we, uh, you know, what policies that can go forward is, is going to be enormously difficult, but what we have done sure hasn't worked. And we're leaving 45,000 Americans a year now through, you know, in a combination of, uh, uh, suicide, homicides and accidents, Whatever you call that, that is not a success. So, Frank, you think this also, you have this thought that liberals wrong to call for assault weapon bans. Yeah, I think the problem is what six of our own states has is mandatory national registration, not going after the guns in people's homes, but any new gun purchase. In New Jersey, I have a Glock. To get that Glock, I had to go for a criminal background check, mental background check, fingerprint it, had to go for another interview, get a permit to get the Glock. There's guns in New Jersey that are sold, don't end up in other states. But in places like West Virginia, you can go in if you're a resident and buy whatever you want just by showing your ID. Then you just drive to a state. Uh, it, it's illegal to do so, but you can drive to a state and then sell them on the black market and make money. And one out, up to one out of three guns found in states with stricter gun laws come from states with looser gun laws. But the problem here is that for the past 50 years, the last time we actually talked about national gun registration was in 1968 under President Johnson, 
when he signed the Gun Control Act of 1968. And he said, this is a good bill, but it doesn't go far enough. We need gun registration. And he blamed the NRA, which at the time wasn't even that radical, for standing in the way because the NRA came around to support the bill, but didn't support the idea of gun registration. And now the Democrats and gun reformers for decades, I think for the past 50 years, have been pushing for things, especially in the past 30 years, that even if all of the things that the Biden administration wants were to all pass tomorrow, it wouldn't make them any major difference to reduce our gun violence, to bring it down comparable to other nations, because they're all baby steps to avoid the issue of gun registration. Federal gun registration, correct? You're Federal talking- gun registration. Right. But there's a, there's a great many Americans are dead set against any kind of gun reform because they claim that one a little gun reform like better background checks would be a slippery slope all the way to genocide. This is nuts. These are what should be marginal ideas. These are extremist views that the NRA has made mainstream that even the, the Republican Party kept on the edges for years really became mainstream over the past five years since the rise of Trump. And the evidence they claim is completely bogus. It is fake history. But the Democrats have been so afraid of this issue, they've decided not to challenge it. We're just going to go with our momentum. We're going to talk to soccer moms. We're going to get people to support us. And by avoiding challenging the gun lobby on their ideology, they've lost they've lost the battle. There's no, I don't see any, any hope for gun reform now, despite this disgusting shooting and these 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 series of shootings and the racist shootings and other shootings by incels and others, right? Different motivations, but the common denominator is easy access to guns. Can I push? Okay, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I just wanted to push back a little bit. So I, I agree with uh, you, you know, about the importance of registration. Uh, I would say that when there are already 400 million guns out there, then simply dealing with uh, new guns, you know, is has a limited effect. But uh, you you were critiquing uh, baby steps, and I just wanted to speak in favor of baby steps. You know, I think of uh, a model for whenever I write about gun policy, then uh, people I get you know hostile emails. People say, "Look, uh, you know, cars kill about as many Americans each year as guns do, and you don't ban cars." No, but cars are a great example of the public health approach that we should be taking with firearms. And since 1921, we've managed to uh, reduce the fatality rate per 100 million miles driven with motor vehicles by more than 90 percent. And it was no one thing. It was a whole series of baby steps. Right. It was seatbelts. Seat it was, you know, airbags. It was padded dashboards. It was divided highways, better lighting. It was roundabouts rather than, you know, left turns and graduated driver's license, crackdowns on drunk driving. And I think in the same way that there are baby steps in the world of firearms that, you know, they're not going to be transformative overnight, but I think they are politically feasible and I think they would save lives and perhaps turn the trajectory around. All right. So let's talk about the solves. Arming teachers, if that's among your approaches, I think it's crazy. I think uh, ballistic blankets are insane. Um, you know, for the people who brought you, I don't want to wear a mask, putting armor on children seems not appropriate. So um, let's talk about solves. So first you, Nick, and then Frank. Sure. So I would uh, focus on, you know, a bunch of these uh, baby steps that I think can get some political traction. And those would involve an effort to curb uh, certain kinds of weapons if one focus on the, the weaponry. So I would be in favor of, you know, going after large capacity magazines in uh, curbing, you know, I would like to see curbs on 
assault weapons, although granted that the last time it was done, the, the assault weapons were defined in a way that was largely ineffective. And, you know, certainly ghost guns, I think, are going to be a growing problem. I think the next technology to worry about is 3D printing of firearms. And I think we should you know, focus on that. But I also think we have to look at access to who actually has uh, the weapons. And that goes to, you know, Frank's point about registration, which I think is exactly right. Now, you know, if you look at who causes gun deaths, um, if you you could hand out mortars to women over 45 who have no criminal record. And this, and as long as those mortars were stored safely, essentially, there would be very little increase in, in violence. On the other hand, uh, teenagers, especially those with a criminal record or with a history of alcohol or drug problems, or people who have history of domestic violence, they are you know, highly correlated to misusing weapons. And so one simple thing is to raise the age to purchase. Uh, Just the way the drinking age was raised to 21. Yeah. And, um, you know, if we think that a 20-year-old is not mature enough to handle a beer, do we really think that person is mature enough to handle a weapon made for killing people? Uh, and, you know, there is some evidence that this actually would, again, it's a bit of a baby step. It doesn't, it, it's not transformative, but it does help. And, uh, you know, likewise, safe storage. We, we say felons, uh, people convicted of felonies uh, cannot uh, buy a gun. Well, what about people convicted of violent misdemeanors, people convicted of stalking? Um, you know, there are a series of ways we can limit access uh, to guns. And I would also emphasize safe storage. We have 380,000 guns that are stolen each year from private hands. You know, just a bunch of things that, so smaller, smaller steps, small just steps. the way we did with driving. Go ahead. Go ahead. And the, th and the third uh, element of a sort of triad approach, I, I would say, is a greater focus on things that don't directly involve guns, but can affect uh, gun, uh, you know, gun deaths. And that's mental health support. Um, that is, there are some programs. Uh, Cure Violence is a great program in Chicago that uh, reduces um, gang violence. Uh, Becoming a Man is a similar program that works with at-risk uh, teenagers. Uh, the military, the U.S. military has done some interesting research about how to reduce suicide rates. And, uh, you know, most gun killings are, in fact, suicide. So I would love to see more dramatic steps, but I do think that this sort of... Right, right. A multifaceted approach that we deal with alcoholism and driving. Exactly. And All right, uh, Frank? Yeah, and I agree on the baby steps. They're good. The problem is none of these baby steps have passed. Nothing, right? The only thing is a ban on bump stocks, which is a symbolic thing. So that's... So how, why can't we Explain what a bump past? stock is for people who don't know, Frank. Bump stocks are, are, are a crude device that converts a semi-automatic rifle into a slow-firing, fully automatic rifle, like was used in Las Vegas and helped kill a great many more people. So what are your solutions? If they're baby steps or not, what are your solutions? Well, why can't we get even these baby steps, even better background checks, which shouldn't be a threat to people? Last month, Ted Cruz introduced a bill with 21 other Republican senators saying that Biden's attempt to register gun parts to prevent ghost guns is a first step toward a gun registry. So we have to oppose that. Mm -hmm. And Josh Hawley last year raised in a Senate hearing and then in, on Fox News with Laura Ingram, oh, this push on backgrounds is really a secret plot by the Democrats to disarm America's because background checks wouldn't work without a gun registry. Actually taking the point that I would make. So therefore, we have to oppose them because if not, they're going to end up in having to add a gun registry to make them work, which I think is true. But the logic is 
the notion of a gun registry is something as a red flag for people, and there's no reason that it should be. And I think the only th- what needs to happen now, the only I mean, that Biden I think really is has very little options. But the one thing he could do is support a commission to investigate a full commission to in, on gun violence and gun policy. How did we get here? What has gone wrong? Because whatever has happened, the messaging by the NRA and the gun industry has been so effective and so powerful. And the gun reform movement really isn't sure which measures it wants. I actually don't think a, an assault weapons ban is good, but I really respect and appreciate those who want it, including a, a limit on, on magazine capacity. Right. It doesn't personally bother me if you had these if you had some of these limits uh, as a gun owner. But it's something that you have to think about what's effective. And also, most Americans out there who aren't necessarily ideologues, the way to win them over and when you need to win them over to say, look, nobody's ever going to come for your guns. And the other thing is the overwhelming majority of weapons used in these mass shootings were bought recently. They're not coming from stockpiles. Right. Right. So focusing on new guns, I think, would be the way to go. But I we're not going to get there. And the NRA has managed to gaslight people in terms of to shape the argument, wrap everything in the Second Amendment, which really doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. except it stops the conversation. We'll be back in a minute, and you can use that minute to leave a comment about your thoughts on this episode. Just visit nytimes.com sway. More with Frank Smythe and Nick Kristoff after the break. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection and unify risk management. Get $1,000 off Vanta by going to vanta.com slash hardfork. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash hardfork for $1,000 off. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with The New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. May I bring up with each of you one of the things that Ted Cruz and others have pushed this idea of, uh, you know, a thing that stops a bad guy is a, is a good guy with a gun. Um, how do you think of those ideas of, of arming our schools or grocery stores? It'd have to be everywhere, right? Movie theaters, grocery stores. Um, nobody shouldn't be armed. How do you look at that, those proposals? Because in this case, it's proved to be totally ineffective. 
Well, I think gun reformers should examine those proposals and start challenging that. Oh, so you mean teachers should be armed, elementary schools should be armed, grocery, every, everywhere you go in society, we should be armed like we're in a war zone. Even conservatives, many conservatives that I know, they don't want to live that way. They don't want to be armed when they're going shopping, right? So this is something that, you know, you can have, have a common sense conversation with a great many conservatives. No one's going to take your right to have a gun in your home away. But we want to limit access to guns, as Nick said, so you don't have people who really have no business having guns getting them. Yeah. Nick, talk about the engaging with the conservatives. That's something Nick's talked about a lot. You know, I, as you know, I, I grew up in a rural part of Oregon. On a, I grew up on a farm. I grew up with guns. Um, I taught my kids to shoot. And I've had so many conversations with people in Oregon who you know, pretty much have Second Amendment tattooed on their forehead. And I find that I can actually have a coherent conversation with them about gun policy. And, you know, that is partly because I start off by talking about getting a 22 rifle when I turn 12. And that sort of puts them at ease a little bit. Um, but I also do what, what social scientists call uh, complexifying the issue. In other words, you don't talk about gun control. Uh, you talk about, look, we all agree that a 15-year-old shouldn't be able to walk into a Walmart and walk out with a an AR-15, for example. So what should the minimum age be uh, to buy, uh, say, a Glock? And, you know, Wyoming, one of the reddest states there is, has a minimum age to buy a handgun of 21. You know, is that appropriate? And and I think it is. And so people may disagree with me about setting a, a minimum age of 21, but they're willing to talk about it. And I think that to the extent we can, we as liberals can complexify the issue and talk about specific steps and where lines should be drawn, then that can be a path to a somewhat more productive conversation. So in that vein, Frank, obviously these polls show Americans very willing in terms of gun some kind of gun reform, and I'll use that broad term. What will it take to get things passed? I mean, obviously, it seems like the NRA has not been weakened or the ideas that they've been perpetrating all around. And by the way, they're 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 kicking off their annual leadership forum on Friday in Texas. But Frank, if everybody believes this is the thing to do, what's preventing it? It can't be these forums that they have where they scream, you know, Second Amendment, take it from my dead hands, that kind of stuff. I think that the, the Democrats and the reformists have been reluctant to engage the NRA and the, and the gun lobby on their own terms. But what they have been focused on is having those conversations with conservatives that Nick is talking about and finding common ground, right? I mean, as soon as you talk about an assault weapons ban, you lose a great many conservatives, right? That's, that's not how you're going to win that argument. Say, hey, you can keep your weapons, but all new gun sales need to be registered, now, there's a lot of people who will raise ideological flags about that, but that, that can be challenged. There's been a reluctance to challenge them, and the, the, they don't really seem to realize what the problem is. And I think there's a converse. What the NRA wants is for progressives to, be, to come across as being so extreme and wanting to seize guns that the NRA will keep its base and the gun industry will keep its sales. And the other thing that this is really about is retail gun sales reframe the conversation. This is what we don't have is regulation of retail sales. And we don't talk about it that way. We talk about it in Second Amendment terms, and that's got to change. Yeah. So, uh, which which we regulate cigarette sales and everything else. So the NRA annual leadership forum kicks off Friday in Texas. Ted Cruz will be there. How will they address this? What is your guess on this? And then I'd love Frank to weigh in. 
you know, I, I think the narrative will be that liberals in the media are using this tragedy to go after your guns. And, you know, that's why we have to uh, fight back and preserve the Second Amendment. And, you know, I just find that kind of a ridiculous argument. I don't expect, I expect more heat than than light. And, you know, I must say, I don't think we're going to change Ted Cruz's mind on this. I do think that we have to figure out how we can do a better job of reaching some uh, centrists who are wavering. I think we have to figure out some policies that that can actually move forward. I mean, universal background checks. Right. I, I agree with Frank that it's not, you know, it's not a complete game changer, but I do think that at the margin, it would help Okay. So, Frank, very briefly, what do you think they're going to do with the leadership forum? They're not going to cancel it. Oh, they're, oh no, no, not at all. They're going to have it, and they're going to barely mention any specific mass shootings whatsoever. They've made a policy of just avoiding these issues, and they're going to reframe it as everything's an attack on gun rights, that you're blaming legitimate gun owners, trying to punish them for the actions of these deranged people who are buying guns. I mean, that's how that's been their line and they're going to continue to it. And they're going to be competing to Hawley and, and Cruz will be competing against each other. So and with Trump that I'm more of a champion of gun rights than you are. That's what this is all about. All right. And and Frank, you talked about buying a gun in New Jersey and the strict process. What can Biden do at a national level to help get this process in all 50 states? I don't think he has the power to do that. An executive order certainly is, is quite limited in what he can do. This is a fundamental crisis in the United States. National and security the, crisis. And a, a true national security, domestic national security crisis. And the NRA is imploding, right, and probably will not survive. Yet it's the ideology is going to last and the gun industry is not going anywhere. You know, the, the NRA's message that they've been successful, which is bogus, but people believe it, is you cannot have the gun ownership and gun control cannot coexist. This is not true. Right, so change the narrative. Change the narrative. Who, who will replace the NRA? Well, Ted Nugent, who was an NRA board member for a quarter century, just left the board. But he left the board to now become the face of Hunter Nation which is sort of a, the hunter group with a very, very right-wing gun rights orientation. It really doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of its program, except that it's not the NRA. So, and other groups that are, that are blatant extremist groups, neo-Nazi and other groups, are starting to draw some of this. Gun Owners of America, which has a history of collaboration with white nationalist and white supremacist groups, is also drawing some of this, right? The second largest group after the NRA. So not a, not a good, sensible group. There's not a good... No, no. And there's been, I know there's been people talk for decades about how there could be a, a progressive takeover of the NRA. That'll never happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer just said there will not be an imminent vote on gun safety bills. Is this a missed opportunity? Yes or no, each of you? No. No. I, I mean, I, I I don't think that if there were proposal that it would actually get anywhere right now. But can I just say that I am a little more optimistic than Frank, and this may have more to do with you know preternatural optimism and you know, brain chemistry or something. But if one looks at other countries, there are, you know, Australia and New Zealand each suffered a terrible gun massacre and each somehow found the political will to act. In the U.S., it the, the data is kind of all over the map, but there is some reason to think that at least until the pandemic, while the number of firearms was growing, the number of households who possessed them was declining. That, that probably reversed during the uh, pandemic. But it does seem to me that, you know, in my career, I've covered cultural change. We now have dog owners who pick up after their dogs. Uh, that would have been unimaginable. 
Um, and it seems to me not impossible that there will be a day when doctors will not only ask their patients, uh, do you smoke? Uh, do you drink? But also, do you have a gun at home? And is it safely stored? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think there is some hope for some measures that do make us a little bit safer. And if we could reduce gun deaths by a third in, the, in this country, you know, that would be 15,000 lives saved a year. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Frank, your prediction? Will anything change? I think this, if anything, this could be a wake-up call to have, a, to have a restart of the conversation to rethink how to approach it. And I'm an optimist by, in general, but in this particular case, I think this illustrates the sort of depth of the valley we find ourselves in. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of enthusiasm is not going to get us out of it. And the political context of the armed right and the threatening of a possible use of force of arms to either put Trump in power or keep him there if he were to either uh, win or lose an election. This all feeds into this because the notion that the demographics are changing and less Americans have guns, this feeds into the notion, well, that's why we need to keep our weapons. Yeah. yeah. You know, and Absolutely. I think if there's the shift has to be what should the policy reform be. And I think that progressives and Democrats and reformists need to have that discussion amongst themselves before they bring it back out to the public. So when Steve Kerr said uh, we have to stop having moments of silence and maybe have a lot of more moments of noise. Good point. Nick? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, and not just, uh, you know, not just noise, but also action. But not... I do think that whenever liberals talk about gun control, uh, that that tends to be counterproductive and, you know, that gun safety is a better way to start a conversation than the term gun control. And every time people talk about confiscating guns or banning guns, then uh, that makes it harder to actually get things done. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, the goal is not to go to extremes, is to get something done. And hopefully we can get that done. Nick, uh, Frank, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Way is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, Mary Marge Locker, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuelewski. Special thanks to Shannon Busta and Martin Kessler. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza. And the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>